the middle. Pass is caught by Owens. Owens made the catch. Oh, three seconds left. Darrell Owens was having a rotten day. But on one play here, does he make up for it? Watch this. It's a phone. It's a prevent defense. There's three backers around him. They release right there. And Steve Young throws a perfect pass in there. Hello, 49er fans, and welcome to the 2008 edition of the 49ers Paradise Podcast. By the sound of my voice, you can tell I'm not Brian. I am, in fact, his new, newly acquired free agent backup quarterback, Indiana Jim. Yes, I, I can hear the groans of of people on the on the dice. You know. He chose poorly. Yes, he chose poorly, didn't he? Well, I asked Brian, actually, if I could help him out with the podcast, and Brian then asked me if I just wanted to do my own. I said, sure. Uh, I had toyed with the idea of starting my own 49ers podcast, but I didn't want to compete with 49ers Paradise, because the dice, as we all call it, it's a pretty vibrant community of fans, and it's really a good place to catch up on all the latest headlines with the hot off the presses uh, section, so I wanted to aid the community in any way I could. As for why me or why him, uh, I've been podcasting since April of 2006, and my intro just ended very abruptly, but that's okay. (laughs) If you go to podcast.indianagym.net, you'll find the adventures of Indiana Jim. I talk about a lot of things, but mostly entertainment of some sort, usually sci-fi and fantasy-related topics, as well as some interviews on there. I did a couple author interviews recently, and actually I need to put one up. I do guest voice work for some podcast authors out there, such as T. Morris, P.G. Holyfield, Philippa Ballantyne, and Chris Lester. I know names no one has ever heard of, but uh, Google them, you'll find them. And I'm currently working on a full cast Star Wars audio drama. Uh, I also have a novel that I plan on podcasting uh, somewhere down the road. Now, as for what to expect from the Paradise podcast, I'm going to do some different things uh, from Brian with my episodes. For one... I'm probably going to be a lot more ranty than Brian. Uh, he's a little more laid back, whereas I... <laughs> you know, just read my posts on the dice. I mean, <laughs> Although, honestly, I'm probably more restrained uh, on pod, as they say, than I am on a message board. I try to incite riots sometimes, um, and sometimes I don't even have to try. So... <laughs> You're going to get my thoughts on every game, probably. Who I thought did well, who didn't, notable statistics and all of that. Plus, I'm going to keep grounded in where we've been as far as the team success over the last 27 years. Also, very important is feedback. Podcasters basically live off of feedback. And 49ers Paradise Podcast is the only really consistent podcast focused on the 49ers that's out there. And Brian's done a real good job so far, but, you know, he, he lacks the time and he, he's probably, you know, he is, he's probably at the point where he's feeling a little de-energized, I guess. But, and that, that's something I wanted to help him with. Maybe if, if he didn't have the time, you know, I could do some production things for him. But don't worry, Brian is still uh, considering and he's still, he hasn't given up on podcasting. Let's just put it that way. And I expect him to be back in the swing of things uh, once the season gets going. You know, in the off season, it's really hard to talk about much. Though there has been a lot to talk about, and 
Obviously, chief among them is the quarterback competition that we have going between Alex Smith, J.T. O'Sullivan, and Sean Hill. Um, J.T. O'Sullivan has taken the early lead in the quarterback competition, clearly. He spent a year under Mike Marks in Detroit. Didn't play in the regular season too much. Played one game. Didn't do all that well, but what do you expect? It, he's a career backup. He's a journeyman. He didn't take starter reps. You know, John Kitna took those reps. So not going to hold that against him. He has a chance to obviously make a statement for himself, and he, he did that fairly well in the Raiders game. He obviously has a quicker release than Alex Smith. He doesn't take as long to wind up his arm. He knows where the routes are going, and he has a, a confidence about him that some would call arrogance, but I don't know. He, he hasn't been too bad, at least in my opinion. Uh, I don't care for the guy much, but that's, you know, I'm biased, so <laughs> clearly. But, I, you know, I can admit he has a very smooth release. Uh, on the board, I said he throws a nice changeup, which it really is a changeup. It's not a fastball, but when you throw it at the right time to the right place and the receiver's there, boom, you got it. And he showed that to Josh Morgan. Josh Morgan is a guy who definitely is impressing. He's, as Matt Mayoko said, he's having the best uh, camp for a wide receiver since Terrell Owens' rookie season in 1998. The difference is Josh Morgan, <clears throat> I think, has a little more class. Yes, sir, no, sir, that kind of thing. Terrell Owens, we don't want to go back there. No, thank you. <laughs> to think that the last time we had a good receiver here in San Francisco was the guy we most don't want to bring back to San Francisco that people don't want to bring back to Philadelphia, you know, we just won't go there. And so we have a new a new start with Josh Morgan, number 84, better than Brian Gilmore, number 84. And he made some really nice catches, four catches for 68 yards against the Raiders. And I will say, you know, J.T. O'Sullivan throws a nice ball, but the issue, I guess, with O'Sullivan is judgment. Whereas he's accurate, and throws it at the right time, makes some really boneheaded plays. Alex Smith made some good judgment calls, got out on the run, but just didn't throw the ball very well. And each guy, each Sean Hill, JT, JTO as we call him, Alex Smith, they all have rust. I mean, they're all rusty. All players are rusty. Manny Lawson, he was kind of tied out there. Uh, all the guys, you get back in that first game, and it's first game jitters. That, and this is the preseason. Uh, people complaining about how crappy the team looks. It's preseason, really. Mike Martz's teams, typically, their initial installment of the offense, they look terrible in the preseason. But like I keep saying, nothing matters until September 7th. When September 7th comes around, then we can start complaining. And, oh, well, we can start complaining now anyway. In particular, Mike Nolan, thank you very much for the field goal, 22-yard field goal by Joe Netney. By the way, an extra point is a 19-yard field goal. So... Three more yards. It, pretty pretty rough test for, for Joe Nedney. I, I, it was kind of a tenuous situation. I was afraid he might miss that one. That, for those of you who don't know, is sarcasm. You know, Mike Nolan's getting a bad, bad rap. And some of it deservedly so. He He's really talking in circles this year. It, it, it's kind of strange. You know, I thought he was talking in circles when everything was going to heck in a handbasket, like, you know. And after the Seattle game and everything was falling apart, he brought in Ted Tolner and he had the problems with Alex Smith. He's talking in circles worse now. That he's he's immediately contradicting himself in his press conferences from one question to the next. It's, it's like, so 
you know, you're saying he did a good job. Well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that way. We all we all face challenges, and of course, you know, challenges are fun uh, from that standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really it's really bizarre. It's really really strange. And the truth of the matter is, he knows nothing about offense. He's turned the quarterbacks over to Mike Martz, and he continues to try to talk about the thing when he just says. Mike's got it. He should just say that. Mike's got it. Mike's handling it. You know, you'll see the results. And instead, he tries to make himself sound smart or something. He he went into this crazy, convoluted defense of that field goal call. And let me see if I can bring it up here. But for those of you who didn't watch the game, Alex Smith was driving the team down. He had some momentum going. Yeah, he threw some balls behind players, but he was getting the ball downfield. And, you know, it's preseason. That's what you're supposed to do. Move the ball. Okay. We're not asking for much. First game back, first game jitters, whatever. Moves the ball down to the five-yard line. It's second down. So, what do they do? Two straight handoffs to Zach Kesey for second down and third down. Fourth down, they kick the field goal. And a lot of people say, hey, Mike, you know, you're, you're testing your quarterbacks. It's preseason. Why not give Alex two more chances to, to get the ball in the end zone? He says, well, you know, he had actually uh, he had two chances. Uh, on first down and one on second down. Really? That's your excuse? He had two chances on first and second down? I mean, they said they're going to come out and throw the ball. If they're going to come out and throw the ball, then let the man throw the ball. I mean, Sean Hill threw the ball a couple times on fourth down. You know, wh- why can't Alex Smith throw the ball? Okay, so when Alex came in, the first two plays were two Zach Kesey runs, and then close to the goal line, there was another third down run. You kicked a short field goal. Why not put more on Alex's shoulder to see what he can do? Uh, let, me, let me see the part where it gets really crazy. Obviously, Mike Martz was probably thinking of giving the line confidence and running the ball a couple of times. That's a Mike Nolan statement. That's not a Mike Martz statement. That's the whole Larry Allen begged me to go for it on fourth and one, and I wanted to give him confidence. You know, uh, Let's see, people weren't teeing off on him. That's important. It's not just calling a run and holding back on Alex. It has to do with the other 10 guys. There's a game being played every down by 11 guys. Duh, thanks, Mike. And the play caller as well. You are not trying to keep him from throwing the ball. You're you're trying to make it that when you do, you have a good situation for your quarterback. Like, you know, thank you. That's a big reason for running the ball with that group. I think it's misunderstood to think that it's a different uh, reason. If it would have been fourth and one, which I thought it was, I would have put it on Alex to go for it. But at fourth and three, that's a typical decision on what you do. Our special teams need work as well. Preseason is not just for your quarterback or any one position. It is for your team to get better. In the process, you make game type of decisions that help your football team. If it would have been much closer, which I thought it was, if I knew we were kicking the field goal, we would have let the clock run down. He had the opportunity on first down, second down, and third down for us offensively to get it in, but but that's what we did. Does that make any sense to anybody? Really? Th- this is our head coach, and I don't have to tell you how bad Mike Nolan's doing at the at the PR, at the public speaking, at the trying to produce a cogent thought out of his mouth he's just having a hard time so in that Raiders game you, you had that issue with Alex on the second down you had some some poor judgment by JT so JT's accurate but makes some bad judgment calls Alex makes some good judgment calls not as accurate Sean Hill you know 50% of his passes is kind of up and down like I said on my blog which you can find at 49ersfanboy.wordpress.com ding um, you know he didn't really hurt himself but he didn't help himself either. You know, he had that beautiful touch pass to Jason Hill in the corner of the end zone, which Hill dropped. Yay! 
And then he also had that really crazy fluttering floater pass that got intercepted. Uh, it was supposed to be a corner flyer out, and the thing comes you know five yards inside, and Jason Hill slips and falls down trying to get it. So Jason Hill really really didn't help himself out much. You know we were we were looking for big things from him, and he just kind of you know fell off the wagon there. He's been having an okay camp, and I expect to see him do better in the next game against Green Bay. Now personally, when it comes to Green Bay. Oh, a little bit about the defense. I thought the defense in the first the first stringers were really good. You know, they got pressure on the quarterback. Ray McDonald got a sack, which I like to see him in there with the first team. Uh, I was really impressed with him last year. I thought he had a real great first step and was really active, really energetic. Just had the you know the offsides or the encroachments that he had. But I really think he's going to be a solid player, and and it looks like he he's getting in well with with the first team defense. <clears throat> Excuse me, Justin Smith, you know, yeah, he was okay. Patrick Willis, he didn't do too much, but that's, you know, it's to be expected. It's preseason. But the important thing, listening to Joe Starkey, before I was able to watch the game, I was able to watch some of it later, but listening to it, you know, you hear Joe Starkey keep saying, and they continue to get pressure on, on the quarterback. I was like, really? Well, that's new. So, uh, you know, good, good one, Mike Nolan. Good job. So, you know, Mike Nolan's given us a good defense. That, that cannot be understated. He's done a real good job getting this organization going again. You know, building up some of the morale. He's just had an issue with himself, which I'll get more into in a little bit here. The Raiders game, first week, preseason, you know, no big deal. I thought Alex Smith was the better of the three out on the field. Would have liked for him to throw the ball better, but, you know, on, on the passes he completed, other than the, the one to Delaney Walker, which is kind of low and on his hip, uh, the 23-yarder the to Arnez Battle was perfectly placed. The one where Battle got nailed when he caught it, Battle wasn't actually running a crossing pattern. He kind of was stopping and floating in the zone. He, he sort of moved to catch the ball, and that's when he got hit was when he turned. So, and a lot of people say, oh, he threw it behind him, and he's endangering his receivers. Well, did you see the throws from O'Sullivan were high, like helmet high? Uh, on the slant, the slant pattern, the first slant to Josh Morgan was pretty good. I mean, it was right at his helmet. It wasn't out in front of him, but it was kind of at his helmet. It wasn't behind him, at least. So he was able to catch it and not lose much momentum. But there was a couple plays there. Morgan had to jump. at one. It was a post pattern that he had to jump and actually duck down before he would get nailed by one of the Raiders' safeties. You know, Arnaz Battle's good at taking a hit. But if you got a guy jumping on a post pattern, that could be disastrous. But, you know, like I said, First game jitters. I'm not going to hold that against O'Sullivan. Just each guy has his issues that he's that he's got to contend with here. And you know, I, I, I won't lie. I'm rooting for Alex Smith. But in the end, once September 7th gets here, whoever wins games, that's the important thing. Speaking of Alex Smith, and this is the time where I get to get ranty with you, Alex Smith is more than just a highly touted college prospect who has failed to live up to expectations. The story of his three seasons in the NFL is far more complicated than that of most number one draft picks. For most quarterbacks, Smith's statistics would not be noteworthy. For his critics, it belies an inability to play in the NFL. But this isn't the tale of Ryan Leaf, a young man with a substandard work ethic and self-destructive behavior. This isn't the story of Tim Couch, who suffered numerous injuries and couldn't adapt to the pro game. The story of Alex Smith is akin to someone playing Madden football and continually hitting the reset button. 
Despite scouting reports that underscored the difficulty Smith would have adapting to something as simple as taking a snap under center, people seem to forget the learning curve he faced. His college coach, Urban Meyer, is famous for stating that Smith needed time to understand a system and that once he got it, he got it. Despite Mike Nolan's assertions that Smith would be fine, he indeed struggled in adapting to Mike McCarthy's West Coast offense. In fairness, a quality Nolan is trying desperately to prove he possesses, Smith's rookie season could be considered a redshirt year, perhaps his true senior season finally learning a pro-style offense. In 2005, the 49ers had a distinct lack of talent around their number one pick. From the offensive line to receivers to the running game led by Kevin Hey-Let-Me-Run-Right-Into-That-Defender-Barlow, Smith was literally a man on an island. Reset. When coordinator Mike McCarthy left to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mike Nolan hired respected and Super Bowl-winning coordinator Norv Turner, who brought a system better suited to Smith's field-stretching arm. New terminology, new philosophy. Smith had to unlearn the West Coast offense and learn the digits of Don Coryell. Turner had taken Troy Aikman, also a number one draft pick who struggled early, to Hall of Fame success. Smith began to find a rhythm in 2006. With Antonio Bryant as his new deep threat and Frank Gore running behind behemoth Larry Allen, Smith made the single largest improvement in QB rating in NFL history. He began to assert himself as the leader of the team, and the 49ers improved to 7-9, sweeping division rival Seattle. Smith also began to combine Norv Turner's system with an ability to improvise and make plays with his feet. Great things were expected in 2007. Reset. The great experiment called Norv Wants to Be a Head Coach resumed in San Diego after the rest of the NFL teams had withdrawn permission to speak to their coaches. Mike Nolan thought promoting Smith's quarterback's coach was the logical step, believing it would promote continuity. A nice theory, except for the fact that Smith had come to see Norv Turner as a true mentor. Troy Aikman often recalls how instrumental Norv Turner was to his development. Turner's departure had robbed Smith of a true teacher and robbed the entire offense of a true offensive master. Jim Hostler had no experience creating an offensive game plan, but it may have worked if he had made himself a student of Norv Turner's way of doing things. Unfortunately, two things stood in the way. For his part, the inexperienced former Division II defensive back thought instead of keeping the system exactly the way it was and working with Smith the way Norv Turner did, he would combine the digit system with elements of the West Coast offense two systems almost diametrically opposed to each other would now be blended by a man who had never called his own plays in the National Football League. Actually, you're, you're supposed to say it this way. The National Football League. Say it with me now. Say it with me. The National Football League. That's how you have to say it. Ultimately, he didn't have the respect of his offensive players, and really, who could blame them when you had Norv Turner? History also has judged Mike Nolan to be a man almost completely incapable of accepting criticism. From players to coaches, no one can openly call his decisions into question. Just look at his inability to accept fan and media criticism and imagine what it looks and sounds like behind closed doors. We also have evidence of his macho coach act affecting his relationship with Jonas Jennings and Alex Smith, having called into question the manhood of both men. When you do that in a locker room, you lose respect real fast. None of the players believe they can trust their coach to have their back when the chips are down. If they say something, Mike Nolan's going to talk about it. Jim Hossler did not have the resume or expertise of a Norv Turner, nor the balls to tell Mike Nolan when he's wrong. And so Alex Smith, armed with yet another offensive coordinator, another starting wide receiver in Daryl Stonehands Jackson, and nary a hot read available, entered 2007 a man on an island yet again. His pass protection failed him when he had to wait for Rouse to develop, his receivers dropped his passes, and Rocky Bernard turned his shoulder into mashed potatoes. Three games played when healthy, inept play calling, and despite it all, a 2-1 record thanks more to the defense than anything else. 
Is this the standard by which Alex Smith's 2007 campaign is judged? Apparently not. In the midst of a losing streak led by the typically great leadership and typically terrible play of Trent Dilfer, Smith came back from his shoulder injury too soon. No doubt it was fueled by the incredible motivational techniques of Mike Nolan, namely the question-his-manhood technique. Despite this, Smith came back with lots of pain and broken mechanics and eventually ended his season with surgery to repair the ligaments in his shoulder. Fan outcry and media reporting said, Don't you see he's still hurt? But Mike Nolan chose to color Smith a crybaby when he spoke out. Alex Smith, a player who endured constant coaching changes and general ineptitude, who bided his time and kept his mouth shut, who played the part of a good soldier and played hurt for his football team, was thrown under the bus by his head coach. Smith's typically indefatigable optimism and golden boy smile finally broke, and for good reason. Mike Nolan did the same thing in the locker room to Jonas Jennings. Why would we disbelieve Alex Smith when he says it? And so 2007 saw the arrival of Ted Tolner, a virtual shot in the arm for the play calling, giving a thrilling overtime victory in Arizona, and two stirring wins with Sean Hill, a quarterback. Despite the fact that Sean Hill's success came against teams either playing prevent defense, resting starters, or the Cincinnati Bengals, Mike Nolan had a chance for good PR. Name the guy who won a couple late games to an erstwhile quarterback competition against the injured starter. It is completely indicative of Mike Nolan's attempts to make himself look good at the expense of others. With ownership breathing down his neck, with his personnel power stripped away, Mike Nolan had to prove he was in control. So he hired the one offensive mind left who could resurrect his moribund unit, Mike Martz. Reset! Here we have Alex Smith, one season given up to learning a pro offense, one season given up to injury, three different offensive coordinators, and one decent season among them. By my count, he, is, he has basically one season that actually qualifies as a season. 32 total games played. That's two seasons. Three with a separated shoulder and one with only one play, thanks to Rocky Bernard. So 26 games under the conditions I've just described is hardly a period against which to judge a man three months after his 24th birthday. But did his head coach make this case to people? No. No, that would have taken guts. Instead, he used it as yet another chance to deflect blame from himself. With a competition judged by Mike Martz, he doesn't have to be the one to pull the trigger, to borrow an expression, on the quarterback and somehow make the wrong decision. He could have used this one chance to swallow his pride, give Alex Smith all the support he needs, get the team behind him, give him starter reps with a true offensive master again, and make something of his first draft pick. Nope. Mike Nolan continues to ride the fence, to play the middle, to deflect blame for all decisions, even calls on 4th and 2 from the 5 in a preseason game. Lucky for us, he just hired an offensive coordinator who has been to the Super Bowl as a head coach. You know what I say? Reset. Well, that'll do it for my first episode of the 49ers Paradise Podcast. For feedback, you can send emails to podcast at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. Please send in your feedback. As the number one 49ers fan podcast out there, we're more regular than the San Francisco Chronicle podcast. We do more than just give you KNBR interviews of players and coaches. We want to really be the fan podcast. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words. We want to say your words over the interwebs. If you send your emails, you can send text emails to podcast at 49ersparadise.cjb.net. You can also send audio, probably, 
I don't think Brian will mind, but you can send MP3 files to that address. You can send them to indianajim.podcast at gmail.com. Either way, one of those. If you want to call in your feedback in San Francisco, dial 1-415-376-7297. When prompted, you can dial star 747-628-7149, and you'll be connected to 49ers Paradise. Again, it's 1-415-376-7297. When prompted, dial star 747-628-7149 to be connected to 49ers Paradise. If you want my personal voicemail box, you can pick up your phone, your cell phone, and dial 206-350-8474. 206-350-8474. So numerous ways you can leave your feedback and let us hear your voice, and your voice will be heard on the 49ers Paradise Podcast. That's it for now, and, well, see you in about a week.